capturing images of bees buzzing inside a hive. Here at True Essence Foods, it's our goal to revolutionize the way food is made and consumed. Eating healthier. Recovery Force is a wearable technology. It causes blood flow or enhanced circulation to patients, whether to reduce pain or reduce risks of blood clots. This call may be monitored and recorded for quality assurance. Enter Authentics, built from healthcare for healthcare. Living healthier. Common denominator, Indiana visionaries, entrepreneurs who leaned on Elevate Ventures to help move their high-tech platforms to market. Indiana's been known as the crossroads of America since 1937. And now is our opportunity to be known across the globe as something even bigger, to be known as the innovation capital of the world. Toaf Day, yes, he'll explain how we got the name here in just a minute. The CEO of Elevate Ventures, Tove's journey from going up on an Indiana farm with no TV, rides to church on a horse and buggy, to one of Indiana's most influential entrepreneurs. Meet job creator and high-tech Hoosier visionary, Tove Day, on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Voice sound a little different to you? I'm Fabian Rodriguez, a key behind the scenes driver each week in pushing out the Business and Beyond podcast with Gary Dick, presented by PNC. I'm borrowing the mic from Gary to roll out the red carpet for our guest this week, Tof Day. He grew up on a small farm about 100 miles north of Indianapolis. His family, a member of the German Baptist Brethren Church, a conservative community, shunned TV and got around on horse and buggy, Amish wheels as Tof describes it. He went on to graduate from Purdue, co-founded eight different businesses, and now leads Elevate Ventures, the most active capital firm in the Great Lakes region. Gary, now with more on this Hoosier-born entrepreneur and job creator. And I am pleased to be joined uh, on the podcast this week by Christopher Day. Tof, how are you? Doing well, Gary. Thanks for having me. Oh, great great to uh, catch up with you. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Tof. So you go, people who know, who know you, you go by Tof, right? Not Christopher. When did that start? You know, that started in college. So in, in high school playing basketball, if people wanted the ball, it would take way too long to say Christopher, right? And so they they called me Day, my last name, right? And then in college, people started to say Chris, and I wouldn't pass them the ball. And they'd be like, why aren't you passing me the ball? I'm like, because I, I don't know who Chris is. And uh, and so then they decided to make it Tof. So that's how it, that's how it started, and that's how it stuck. I love it. I love it. Well, you are heading up a very important organization in our state, Elevate Ventures, uh, as a CEO of that organization, an organization that has had and continues to have really tremendous impact in the the tech space, the entrepreneurial space. For those who don't know what Elevate uh, Ventures is all about, give us a quick, quick thumbnail. Yeah, absolutely. So Elevate is the number one most active uh, venture capital early in, in seed stage venture capital firm in the Great Lakes region. And that's per the Pittsburgh League tables, uh, number 24 in the United States. We invest cross sector. Um, we do both venture capital and venture development. We invest in the ideation, pre-seed, seed and series A stages, uh, check sizes of 20,000 to $2 million in any one given round up to $4 million in any given company. 
And we've invested uh, in uh, over 520 companies since the inception of Elevate, over 130 exits, and about 368 active portfolio companies today. The Portco payroll total is about $261 million, and that's driving about $17 million in revenue through payroll tax and uh, sales tax back to the state of Indiana each year. Obviously, those are real numbers. Those are real impacts that Elevate is making. Give you mentioned the check size, twenty thousand to a couple million bucks. Talk about you know some of the examples of the impact these investments are having in Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. So one of our, our port codes, for example, is a company called uh, Authentics, and they're making great waves in in the healthcare space. Uh, there's another investment that we have in a company called True Essence, and they're reimagining what flavors taste like. It's a really incredible technology. I mean, we're investing in companies that literally are changing people's lives. I heard a story the other day. Uh, there's a company we invested in called RF Health, used to be called Recovery Force. And they have an incredible yeah. technology that is now going in market. And so imagine if you're in a hospital laying in bed you have to keep that blood recirculating. And they have a technology, I actually tested it out myself. And if we, if anybody's been in a hospital bed before, so I've been in one before, and it's kind of a, a very sterile, stark, kind of cold environment. And I put this thing on my leg to recirculate blood to test how it felt. And I immediately felt like it was like a heat blanket on me, like warm and cozy. I felt cuddly. And so I heard from another friend, his father, was in the hospital and they pulled over this recovery force, you know, technology and put it on his father. And it was just a really wonderful kind of full circle moment, right? Where yeah. a technology that we've invested in is, is where people, you know, in real life actually use that technology and see how it's improved the life of their family. Yeah. I remember recovery force being out. They were a launch fishers, right? Yes. Yep. And so there's, they're still out there. They're doing some things, which is a very positive and an example, I think, too, of the kind of innovation and entrepreneurship happening in Indiana every day in, in lots of corners of the state of Indiana that people probably aren't aware of. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what I think is so exciting about the future is the true cross-sector and disparate stakeholder nature of what's required to bring innovation to market today. Like some other things that, that a lot of people don't just aren't aware of, Indiana is the number one largest exporter of pharmaceuticals in the nation. Warsaw, Indiana contributes 50, nearly 50% of the $50 billion orthopedic GDP in the United States. And so we have incredible horsepower in this state cross-sector. So not only SaaS companies or software, but you think about advanced manufacturing, hard tech, uh, the pharmaceuticals, life sciences, engineering talent that we produce, we, we really are among the number one top five in all of these types of categories of other stakeholders across the globe that we yeah. have those assets right here in Indiana. I want to talk about your entrepreneurial background because it is substantial, but but you you, you hit on something that I think is is germane to the conversation. You are visibly very passionate about Indiana and what we have to offer here as a state. And Hoosiers, Midwesterners don't brag much on the, themselves. But, uh, you know, I think that's a kind of the, at the heart of the fact that you believe that right here in Indiana, the heart of flyover country, if you will, Indiana can be a leading tech center. Why, why do you believe that? Well, I, I believe that for multiple reasons. So, so I believe that Indiana absolutely can and will be the innovation capital of the world. I believe that with every bone in my body. I believe that because if you think about what it takes for a to be the best place to work, live, and play, 
there's kind of seven really critical ingredients required. And that's infrastructure, talent, mission critical industry, technology, lifestyle, cost of living, and regulatory environment. And when we look across all of those required seven ingredients, we have more collectively more number one and top five, top 10 rankings than I can find of any other state in the country. And there's a phenomenon that's occurring right now globally, and it's called the productivity boom. And I kind of deduce that down to it's all about the proximity um, of industries with one another and cost structure. And economists believe that this, the epicenter of this productivity boom will be in the middle quarter of the United States because of those two reasons. And if that's all true, which I believe it is, then there's no doubt that, that Indiana is best positioned to take advantage of that. I would just mention like a couple of examples of that is President Chung at Purdue. He talks about the hard tech quarter that's coming about. And so Purdue with the Skywater announcement will be an anchor on one end and then a 63 mile stretch with Indianapolis on the other end. And in the middle, there's the leap uh, in Lebanon, Indiana, where Lilly's made a big investment, uh, like a $2 billion investment. And so if you if you look at what Purdue plans to do with other stakeholders in the hard tech corridor, they're talking about a mid tech corridor up in um, uh, northern Indiana with Warsaw, between Warsaw and Fort Wayne. When we see all these these various stakeholders coming together to make things happen, you just don't see that in other states. Mm -hmm. There's an event that you have on the books, and I think it really gets to the heart of what you're talking about that belief that Indiana can be a leader in technology and entrepreneurship and, and innovation, it's called Rally. And it's going to be this August. And it is a big deal. Give us the your thumbnail description of what this event in August will be. Yes, Rally will become the world's largest cross-sector innovation conference. And I think in a couple of years, maybe three years, we'll even call it the world's largest cross-sector innovation festival. So Rally is all about creative collisions, bringing disparate stakeholders and people together cross-sector to truly be able to innovate faster. Uh, so in year one, we're expecting at least 5,000 innovators slash attendees. We're going to have a $5 million pitch competition across five sectors. In the first year, those sectors will be software, hard tech, healthcare, ag and food, and sports tech. And then we're also going to have a sixth sector called entrepreneurship, that's for things that we just can't get to in year one. We're going to have over 200 speakers, three keynotes, four featured sessions. There'll be over 50 content sessions. We're going to have about 175 companies that are in the demo arena that are showing off their innovations. We're going to have a media center in the middle with Inside Indiana Business. We're super excited about. Yeah, I'm looking forward uh, to that. Yep. Yeah. So really bringing things together in a very intentional way. We went out and hired the same event producer as South by Southwest that does their content sessions and pitch competition. And so that's the scale of what we're planning. And this is truly a, a, a collection of stakeholders coming together. So from a university standpoint, like Purdue, IU, Ball State, Notre Dame, they are all leaning in. Uh, major corporations, right? Uh, 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 Beck's, Cook Medical Group, organizations like Agrinovas, High Alpha, which is an innovation studio, uh, all of these incredible disparate stakeholders are leaning in to bring this event to life. Yeah. And you, you mentioned South by Southwest, was, which is a mega event in Austin. And you you believe this ultimately could be kind of Indiana South by Southwest at some point. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I, in fact, I think it's it's going to become the, the, the nation and the globe's next version of South by Southwest. I really do believe that we are uh, Indianapolis is 
ranked as the best place in the nation to host an event. We're the best at it in, in the entire nation. And you think about the interconnectivity of Indianapolis with the convention center, with the hotels, uh, our sporting facilities, we're, we're ranked number one best place to host an event. And we're in the epicenter of the productivity boom. So there's no place better to uh, launch rally than right here in, in Indiana and Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that pitch competition because, you know, there are lots of pitch competitions, not many with a $5 million prize attached to it. So that's a, that's a big motivator. Yes, it is one of the largest uh, in the world. And so truth be known, I came across a group called 43 North in Buffalo, New York, a really incredible group up there, economic development group. And they have a $5 million pitch competition. They've been doing it for about seven years. And initially they would uh, split that 5 million over eight winners over the past several years. They've been doing it over a $5 million award to five winners. So it's a million dollar winner for each one. And so I'm like, well, gosh, if they're doing it, then we should be doing that. Right. And so that's kind of how we arrived at the number of $5 million. We're like, we can't, we can't be three or four. It's got to be five. Right. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> the other piece of this will be a lot of activity, obviously, and content, but this really does shine a spotlight on Indiana on a global stage when it comes to innovation and technology and all the, the different things that you talked about. Uh, just one more thing that puts that, that spotlight on, on our state. Yeah, that's right. I, I've already heard that um, this isn't 100% confirmed yet, but it sounds like there's going to be an Israeli delegation coming to rally. There's another group out of England that's coming. I've even heard that that there are folks in Ireland that are big into orthopedics uh, that have interest in participating in rally. We're also engaging some of our major CEOs uh, in Indiana that are doing big things with other national and global organizations that are going to be pulling in those partners and collaborators as well. How did it, the idea spark what was the what was the initial impetus to get this uh, this rally event put together so when i came in to elevate uh, last july uh, we had um, three events here uh, locally uh, that were within a six-week time frame and they were all largely focused on the same thing introducing some investors some, to some companies and to some uh, some companies to some investors which is awesome right we need that we need those local and regional events but what occurred to me quickly is that we have all of these incredible assets in Indiana, all of these incredible relationships across the nation, across the globe, and the world is changing, right? Today is the slowest rate of change that you and I will ever experience. I was laying in bed one night and it occurred to me that the time is now. It is time for Indiana to put itself prominently on the national and global stage to tell our stories. We, I, I'm not proposing we become arrogant, I'm, but I'm proposing that we tell our stories and that we show off our innovation and the talent that we produce in the state. And so I went to our, our friends at the state and I it was a three minute pitch. Hey, let's we need to think bigger. It, it's, let's call it a mega event for lack of a better term right now. It needs to be cross sector. It needs to be about innovation. We need to go do this. And um, they said, yeah, let's all come together and go do it. That's great. Well, we're looking forward to that event. It will be big indeed. And when you talk about entrepreneurship, uh, TOEF and uh, innovation, that's uh, really a part of your DNA. I mean, you've, uh, I know the numbers and I knew there were several companies, but you have co-founded or launched eight businesses across a range of industries. Where, where did the entrepreneurial fire or spirit come from? So I grew up on a small farm, a hundred acre farm, about an hour north of Indianapolis, and we were German Baptist, which is, I always describe as like Amish with wills. We, we, we went to church on Sundays in a buggy, horse and buggy. And, um, you know, didn't have a TV growing up, et cetera. Wow. And, that's, that's amazing. What was that yeah. like? 
um, we played a lot of basketball. We worked and we played basketball behind the barn, like the whole Hoosiers concept, uh, yeah. you know, the rim nailed to the side of the barn. Like we had that. I like to say we, we actually had a full court basketball court. We had one rim nailed to the barn and then we had another post on the other end <laughs> with a oh, hoop on it. But I think it, it was a sensational, like curiosity appetite that was built up over time. And I was never one for like, you know, I never really liked authority too much. I just, I, I, I'm like, I want to live life in the front row seat. And so, you know, we would get on these school buses and we would travel to places like Connor Prairie. And I would see these things that looked like pyramids. And I'm like, gosh, who, who works in there? What are those people doing? What's life like yeah. there? You know, I used to buy these socks that were that were kind of gray and blue and and in uh, what's Pittsburgh, orange and black. And because all my kids had those socks with stripes on them or my, all my friends. And I knew that there was something called the Cowboys, something called the Steelers, <laughs> football players. But I didn't yeah. really understand the concept of the NFL and have a TV, et cetera. And so I think it was just like this insane curiosity that built up in me. And then when I was 15 years old, my uh, my first, well, I guess my taking my second job, my first job was detasseling corn. My second job yeah. was putting trash in a dumpster on a construction site. And the guy I worked for had a Bronco and a bag phone. And I thought, I want to do what that guy does someday. And I thought he owned his own commercial construction company. I learned, I understood years later that he was the commercial developer that self-performed his construction. But I'm like, I want to be that guy. And his name was Jim Cochran, Cochran Builders and Apartments up, in, uh, up at Purdue on campus up there. And that was probably at 15. That's when it clicked for me yeah. that I wanted to have my own business someday doing something. And I thought that was it. Yeah, that's that's a great story. What What is it about growing up on a farm? Because you mentioned detasseling corn uh, and the jobs uh, that, that you had over time. Uh, I had that conversation with David Becker, First Internet Bank uh, yep. founder, and he had some similar farm experiences. And yes. he's, he talked about... Ross Perot talking to Ross Perot one time many years ago and, and talking about the value of work and you know work ethic and all those types of things that are, are kind of intrinsic to growing up on a farm. I've talked to people over the years. I remember even being on the farm growing up and people thinking like, well, you have it so easy. All you do is you, you put some seeds in the ground and then you go <laughs> pull them out of the ground. And I'm like, there's all the things that have to happen every single day in between. And, and so farming involves a lot of planning. And a lot of maintenance, right? Preparing for the big event, right? Twice a year. And so maybe that's part of it, right? That there's there's not high margins involved. So you have to be very efficient, very thoughtful. You, you have to plan your activities out. You have to time the market when you're going to try to sell your crops or whatever it may be, you know, whether it's it's livestock or crops. And so there's a lot of moving parts that go into running a successful farm. And with the cost of equipment today, like what a combine today costs probably over a million now. Yeah. It's at least a million. I mean, back in the day, I, I put like an analogy, my first car I bought was 150 bucks. Well, <laughs> where can you buy a car for 150 bucks today? Like a combine, the same thing. I don't know what they, I don't remember what they cost back then, but yeah. I, I do remember we bought a cab tractor. That was a big deal. We bought a cab tractor one year and a six bottom plow. And we were like, this is big time. Yeah. It had air conditioner in it. I mean, this is, it was big time. And I, as I recall, that tractor cost us $25,000. That tractor today has to be probably half a million bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think I don't know. I think I think that's probably why planning, uh, and, and so you have to be very efficient and rely on the family. Yeah, I, you know, to me, I, I've always called farmers the ultimate entrepreneurs because yes. all of the things that you mentioned, the 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 risk, uh, you know, things out of your control. There are so many things that go into being a farmer that a lot of people don't don't realize. 
yeah, there's macroeconomics, there's droughts, right? The rainfall. Yeah, it's there's so many, so many variable factors. Well, Tof Day uh, knows a lot about building companies, founding companies, building companies. We're going to talk more about that and what might be next and a lot more when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. Stay with us. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group, Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is Christopher Day, the CEO of Elevate Ventures, an organization that, uh, well, Tof hit some record numbers, right? At Elevate? Yeah. yeah. So last year was just an incredible year. Uh, we did 128 deals, invested 23 million. Uh, and we also had a big year for Indiana as a whole. I think the we've had two back-to-back -back years from a macro standpoint of venture investing of 1.4 billion the, the previous year and a billion dollars last year. And, you know, I, I know we have some macroeconomics, you know, impacting this now and in a pending recession, but we, we see companies powering forward even more efficiently than ever. Yeah. Uh, and I think we, we expect that trend to continue. Yeah. Momentum. No, no doubt. You mentioned that, that pending recession or talk certainly of a recession is that, are, are you seeing signs out in the economy of, of companies, whether they're they're startups or otherwise, you know, kind of making moves to prepare for that. Yeah, absolutely. We we definitely going back probably you know a good six months ago, eight months ago, companies taking steps to prepare you know for the things that were happening, and you know I think times like this, if we look back in history, it's in times of of recession or even depression when some of the greatest companies of all time were founded, right, or grew. And there's a number of folks I know that if we kind of go back to you, you know, the, the various recessions over the last kind of 30 years, many companies that, that sit down and say, okay, we're, we're not going to let this impact us. You know, we're going to figure out how to be more efficient, how to even narrow our focus on our customer base. So what we see companies doing a lot is it's very easy as an entrepreneur to kind of call squirrel, right? You, you want to go after this right. and that, right? <laughs> and and what, what what I see happening is, is the, the CEOs really buckling down and saying, hey, who's our ideal customer profile? Let's go narrow. Let's go deep. And, you know, 50%, 30, 40, 50% growth. That's awesome. Cash flow break even. That's awesome. And I think, you know, investors are kind of part of the problem, right? This, this always goes in cycles. And it's like we never learn, right? In real estate, there's the boom real estate and then everything crashes, et cetera. But I think investors sometimes put undue pressure on companies to, try and grow too fast before they have product market fit, before they have process-led sales, you know, nailed down. And so what I see is a really a back to the, a back to the future moment, right? Back mm -hmm. to fundamentals, uh, block and tackle. Yeah. Hey, any, I just thought you were talking about challenges, but uh, the, the recent collapse at Silicon Valley Bank, which a lot of concern about a, a, a broader banking crisis that you know, didn't really materialize, but 
Uh, again, referencing Dave Becker, he talked about kind of some scrambling that weekend that that happened. It took place. Impact, in, in your view, on the Indiana? Definitely companies were impacted. I think, uh, you know, with the Fed stepping up and, and backing the actual, the, the physical deposits, right, that was real cash. I think it was absolutely the right thing to do. There, there, there was some scrambling there, and um, a lot of banks gained a lot of customers in a short yeah. period of time. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, right. And um, what what I was really impressed to see is we we didn't have a lot of companies in our portfolio that were, were impacted. There were probably uh, probably less than ten companies that were impacted, but the the CEOs leapt into action quickly, and and uh, we were all in 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 high communication. But in, in creating other facilities to get that, you know, from an FDIC insurance standpoint, mm-hmm. getting sweep accounts put in place, transferring money as necessary uh, to protect those assets. And so everybody got through it, I think, largely unscathed. But there were definitely a couple of weeks and especially 48 hours of of some white knuckle moments. Yeah. Well, certainly uh, being an entrepreneur uh, always involves some some white knuckle moments. And <laughs> so if you've, you've uh, co-founded or launched eight businesses in a range of of industries, I think Demand Jump was that your last last company? Yes, yeah, yeah. Demand Jump, they're still at it today. Uh, Tom Malay came in and replaced me as a CEO when I came over to Elevate. And um, some exciting news on that front: uh, we just released a uh, a book. We published a book called Pillar Based Marketing. We released that about uh, two weeks ago, I think it was. And Ryan Brock, the Chief Solution Officer at Demand Jump, we started writing that book over a year ago at this point. Uh, so that just launched, which was pretty pretty exciting news. It's uh, become a bestseller in three categories already. I think the publisher told us for a, a niche book like what we published, they would expect um, kind of 250, 300 book sales in the first year. And um, I think we've already passed 600 at this point. Great. Congratulations. Weeks. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. exciting. That's exciting. Think back to that first company you found. What what, what was what was that company? What what do you remember about about launching your your first uh, startup? Yep. So that company was called Starcom Broadband, and so basically we were a private cable operator that would build these mini cable plants, for lack of a better term, you know, on an apartment community, right? So so multifamily and manufactured housing was our target market, and so we would go uh, put this technology on a multifamily property. And our kind of claim to fame was we could we had the ability to turn on and turn off cable um, at an individual unit. Mm. So if the rent check didn't show up, you know, we just get a little phone call and they'd say flip the switch. <laughs> and uh, so the cable service would go off and uh, rent checks would show up pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. And, and so we uh, we were doing that all across the country. It was really exciting. We were also one of the first companies to figure out how to tariff dark fiber. And to be able to uh, offer symmetrical 1.5 meg uh, internet speeds, which we all would laugh at today, but back then it was it was uh, it was quite an accomplishment. I think we were the first ones to do that with um, Ameritech in the country. But then we got caught in the dot bomb. So you know, we were executing our business. It was a highly capital intensive business, and we got caught in the dot the dot bomb when everything fell apart. We had a seven million dollar term sheet that was on the table that fell apart because the, the VCs wanted to hold on to their their capital and, and have dry powder for their existing investments. And so, luckily, with that business, we always focused on these things called contracts versus eyeballs. And back in the day, everybody was getting these they were getting these massive valuations on eyeballs like vapor. And we always made friends, you know, with our competitors like Comcast and Time Warner, other private cable operators. 
And uh, we luckily, we didn't have to solicit any kind of exit because I got a phone call from Comcast and they said, it's time for you to go away. Uh-huh. And the short story is we they acquired us in 10 days. But the reason they acquired us is we had we had signed a contract up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I think it was we had 67% of the population tied up under contract and we were in the process of building out our systems. And so it, it just kind of goes back to, again, those fundamentals uh, that that while we weren't the cool, sexy tech company because we weren't focused on eyeballs, uh, we were kind of old school in that transition of the dot-com days that we were focused on contracts. I heard from someone at Goldman Sachs during that time frame that our cash on cash return in that era was like the third highest of any of the companies wow. that Goldman represented. Wow. Yeah, kind of a cool stat. That, that is um, that's impressive. Yeah. What are some of the other, uh, any, any store, any, any of the startups you were involved with any, any uh, crazy stories, funny stories you remember about getting things going and, yeah, I'm sure I mean, there are a lot. There's so many. I mean, Gary, I, we, we so we were young and naive, and and anybody that would talk to us that you know we thought would write us a check, we we were jumping on a plane. Man, we were jumping on a plane. We would be there tomorrow, right? <laughs> and we didn't know that most of these people are just wanting to suck information out of you, et cetera. And so, like once we found ourselves, we were pretty sure we were meeting with somebody from the mob in New York. And we're like, where do you get your money from? He's like, from these families in Chicago. <laughs> um, and we're like, we got, I think we're up. We're, we're done with time now, we think, right? <laughs> uh, we, we, we met with this other group that was going to help us raise money. And we walk into their office and something was weird. Like, uh, it, long story short, there were still the price tags on the bottom of this guy's shoes that were totally brand new. Um, the receptionist had only been hired for like two hours, the only time slot that we were there to meet with them. And <laughs> and like, there's like, you know, just this, it was like a staging, like the office yeah. had been staged. We're uh-huh. pretty sure the entire thing was a scam and he was trying to get us get us to write him a, a $25,000 check. You know, if you do it today, it's yeah. only 25,000, right? If you wait, it's gonna be 50,000, you know, for me to represent you. It, we smelled that like in, you know, quickly. Yeah. I, this I, It's insane. The stories go on. Yeah. When people ask you what an entrepreneur is, can you define an entrepreneur? What what an entrepreneur is, it really is all about? I think an entrepreneur, there's some weird, deep desire to serve. I think there's there's some innate ability of no matter what, just to put one foot in front of the other one more time. There's probably some manic characteristics, some ADD, ADHD characteristics. <laughs> I, I I actually saw a chart. I wish I could remember who just published this, but they they looked at the the population as a whole and then isolated entrepreneurs and they looked at like manic and bipolar and ADD, ADHD, the percentages. Pretty interesting. Those characteristics are like at least two or three X of the population. And so, you know, I, I think it's people who probably not all, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are, that are quote unquote book smart. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are more street smart and mm-hmm. they just, for whatever reason in their DNA, they just don't want to accept status quo, that there's uh-huh. always a way we can make something substantially better. And so let's try yeah. it. Yeah. What about the culture in Indiana, the entrepreneurial culture? A lot has been talked about or said about that and, and the risk-taking and all that. If you, I've always thought, you know, if you think about Indiana, you know, with names like Lilly and Hill, uh, Hill and Brand and uh, so many entrepreneurs, yet 
that entrepreneurial culture didn't seem to really exist. Is that changing now? Or how, how do you sense that entrepreneurial innovation culture in Indiana? All right, that's a great question. And I, I started Starcom Broadband in uh, 1997. And so from that time period to today, I feel like I've seen this, this transformation happen kind of in, in three to five year segments. So back in 97, 2000, early 2000s, I think there was definitely still a culture of looking down upon failure. Mm-hmm. Right. And, right. And, and that's not that way today. Um, and I think part of it is just the little things that, that people do. Like uh, I think it was John Wexler and some other folks uh, for two or three years, they hosted a thing called fail fest. Yep. Yep. And like, let's, let's celebrate failure, right? Like WD 40, what it's only called yep. WD 40 because he failed 39 times. Right. And, and to their story after story, Instagram selling for what it was, 4 billion or whatever it was. Yeah. Instagram absolutely failed with their initial, I, I'm trying to remember what exactly they were trying to do, but it was a complete failure. They almost went bankrupt multiple times and then discovered, oh my gosh, people are using this in a different way. What if we leaned into that? And so I, I think that we definitely have seen a shift in the recognition that failure is okay. And maybe even in some ways, celebration is starting yeah. to creep in. Yeah, because if you fail fast, that means you're you're closer to something great. Yeah. The other thing I see is um, the desire for that the people are proactively seeking out to lean in and collaborate with other organizations and other stakeholders proactively. That wasn't that way. Yeah. Yeah. 15, 20 years ago. What to, uh, to looking forward? I mean, you have so much on the plate. Uh, importantly, this rally event, which is uh, going to be a a big, uh, big event, certainly. But as you look uh, out to that next big thing for Indiana, as, as you sense it right now, what uh, what do you see out there? So uh, a, a couple of things. Number one, I think we're going to be on a trajectory where we can have a billion dollars in assets under management. So one of our biggest exports is wealth. And so we take all the risk here in Indiana. And when our companies reach five, seven, eight, ten million dollars and more, we are not reinvesting. There's no centralized pool of capital here that's big enough to reinvest in those companies and recycle more of that wealth uh, here in Indiana. So when somebody sells for 100 million, 500 million, a billion, you know, literally 90 plus percent of that wealth is getting recycled elsewhere. So I think that is going to, we're going to start solving that in the future. I think with the the uh, the really pur- purposeful strategies of like establishing a hard tech corridor, establishing a med tech corridor, those things will raise the profile of Indiana drastically on the national and global stage. And then I see a, a, a proactive effort to start telling our stories more. And so that's maybe one of the most critical ones. And so things like rally that enable those stories to be told and seen in real time, I think it's kind of that third, that third leg of the stool when we think about community capital and acceleration. Well, Toph, it's been a real treat uh, to catch up with you. Some great stories uh, about you that uh, some of them I didn't know. And it's been great to, <laughs> great to hear those stories and uh, really appreciate you taking the time and really appreciate your leadership uh, and looking forward certainly to rally and uh, what, uh, what things that big event might bring as well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Gary. Enjoyed it. All right. Christopher Day, the CEO of Elevate Ventures, my guest this week. On the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC, it is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. 
And you can listen to all of our episodes, well over 100 episodes now, and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.